Hi, and welcome to the Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate. I'm very happy to have Dustin Ruth on our show today. Now, you don't know Dustin, but you've heard his voice if you've watched our videos. We've used a lot of his music over the years, most memorably in our video titled Sawmill Story, which was really a special video for us. It was kind of some family history and telling the story of the sawmill my dad built. And those songs of Dustin's, especially Cold Moon, were absolutely a perfect link in tone and in lyrics and in overall feeling with, with what that video, with the story that video was telling. Dustin has had a really neat career. He was a musician for a lot of years. He played in a band called Ruth. They traveled all across the country. He worked in a mechanics shop, his father's shop. He helped manage that and kind of package that up till the business could be sold. And he's currently working as a commercial airline pilot for Horizon Air, flying lots of passengers all over the Western United States. He was a pilot in Alaska for a while. He is the real deal. He has lots of experience and he's just a really terrific human being. And I'm so happy he joined us and I hope you enjoy this discussion. And if you are a younger person who has career thoughts and you're trying to decide what type of work you might enjoy over your life, then I think this might be extra enjoyable for you because as you've just heard, Dustin has seen a lot of different things. And without any further ado, my interview with Dustin Ruth. Well, thanks for coming on, Dusty. Thanks for having me. Before we start talking about your career flying citizens and passengers all around the United States as a commercial pilot, I want to talk about your, actually, I guess your two other careers. Do you think you've had three careers? Do you ever think about it that way? Um, sort of. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if I think of them as like three full on careers, like how our dads would have had careers or our grandpas where it's like you put in 40 years, 50 years. And, but like certainly have, I've been in three different types of industries, you know, for a good extended period of time and gotten, I think deep enough in each of those to have like some good taste of it, I guess. So let's talk about being in music first. And I told the listeners in the intro and played a a couple of the songs that they have probably heard in some of our videos. But what was that like? Because I don't even know the details, but I'm guessing right out of high school, you kind of dove straight into a a music career with a band. and, And why don't you kind of walk us through what that was like and how long that lasted and what's it what it's like looking back at it now. Sure. So, um, right out of high school, I actually moved to LA, uh, saved up some money. I was working at Papa Murphy's and, Hmm. um, moved to LA to, to pursue music and, um, didn't have a band at the time, but over time I moved back to Washington state where I'm from. Hey, I hear that all the time. People moving to LA for music or acting. What does that actually mean? Does it just mean there's a lot of gigs there and so you can find work easier or what what's going on in LA that people are doing? Explain what that was like like for you on a day to day basis. Like pre COVID, yeah. This is pre COVID. This is the beginning of internet. This is the beginning of a lot of things, camera technology, all kinds of stuff. So like, you know, what's going on in LA now versus what was going on okay. twenty years ago uh, it would be a lot different potentially. Yeah. But at the time, and it still is. It's like Nashville is a music city. Like LA is an entertainment city. So. 
there's a lot of industry going on. That's what's going on. So you have, you know, filming, you have recording, you have so much entertainment industry there that, and I mean, I'm, I was 18, so that would have been a great question for me to like actually think about prior to moving there. (laughs) But you know, at the same time, like you do get there and it's like, you're living, I was living with five other roommates, all of which were actors and, um, one of them worked at a management company. Huh. Uh, another one was a musician. So everybody's trying to make it. And what is making it? You know, yeah. we could go on for hours about all that. But it's basically just a city where everybody kind of flocked, at least at the time. And I think they will again in the future, but yeah. to a certain extent. But um, it's kind of a city where it's like the epicenter of like that industry. So running, you know, you're, you're working with people that are trying to do what you're doing. They know people. It's a networking like opportunity. So like as a musician, there might've been separate from gigs, but even just jobs and needs for people who needed a singer or guitarist or whatever, whatever it may be. There's just, could be, I mean, I, I didn't really know exactly. I just, I just thought that's how you did it, you know. Wow. And so, so what what happened? You were there for how long and then I you... was only there for a year. Okay. Um and a lot of stuff happened. I mean, but nothing happened. You know? yeah. <laughs> but uh then I moved home and started playing in bands and I guess maybe I went down there and I and I recognized like what I wanted to do with music a little bit better. Okay. And um and so I got into playing with bands and then through that process, um sort of refined my understanding of maybe what music I actually liked and what I wanted mm-hmm. to, to like sound like uh, that's always evolving and and stuff um but it's kind of feels silly even talking about all this yeah, well like, I guess the point is though your your bands eventually led you to touring across the country yeah several times or more than once or yeah how, what was the what was the next five years like with or how many years were you in a, in these bands and yeah music full time well i think the record deal that i mean i've had a handful of like record deals licensing deals things like that with projects but the main one that kind of got things going was with tooth and nail and that was i think i was like 25 so it was like maybe a good seven years after i had like moved out moved home like you know and everything and so like i all i ever wanted to do was music i mean that was like my first love, you yeah. know, and still is. I don't think that ever really goes away. I still write. I still record. It's just evolved on a business level as to where I, and and also a hobby level on, yeah. as to where I like try to utilize that huh. as far as like a business goes, you know. Um, but yeah, and then from there we toured quite a bit. I mean, the band <laughs> with that deal we toured for maybe about three years, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I think we did the U.S. like. Over a dozen times, maybe. I mean, it's enough where you're stopping at like gas stations in like Iowa or, you know, Alabama. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is that one with like, you know, (laughs) yeah, you've been there a few times. Um, And then like we did, you know, a Europe, a Europe little stint over there tour and then Southeast Asia and stuff like that. Wow. But it was, it was short lived, but it was also like, well, it wasn't a long time that, it coming, wasn't that short because you, it, if you spent seven years before that deal, and then I'm guessing a few years during in that it, phase, and yeah. so you, how long did you spend with music as your main thrust? I think those three years was pretty much what I would consider like professional musician, I yeah. guess. Um, but then 
after that, I continued to make music, even though it was, it was kind of on the side. Um, actually, everything's always on the side except for music in yeah. my mind. But in yeah. people's perspective and in reality, music was kind of on the side at that point. Um, and when you're speaking about business, like the streams of revenue for music sort of changed like yeah. from live playing and like selling merchandise and trying to sell CDs and downloads and that sort of a thing to like TV film placement and commercial placement and um, still like downloads, but mostly streams. And so that, that sort of um, business model, like sort of changed just like every other kind of business out there has to kind of like morph into what works for them. You know, you start off making, gizmos and then like some guys like hey can you make this and it's a gadget and then like <laughs> yeah and then like everybody starts wanting the gadget and but you started off thinking gizmos was what right. you were gonna do and as well and when you were probably a young pup music was completely different because that was before napster where it was selling cds mm-hmm. was the revenue yeah uh, item and then and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden downloading came into existence and and so you've seen a couple shifts yeah over the years in that the industry is kind of changed dramatically and we were kind of in the middle of that like weird like slack tide i guess the tide wasn't coming in and the tide wasn't going out like yeah the industry was like how do we harness like you know labels and licensing companies and management and all the business side of it was like how do we how do we like capture this to like make money again you know because it was changing so rapidly and i think they have Hmm. but i was kind of in that slack tide period where it was like really difficult to like Huh. figure out everyone was just treading water like, like nobody knew i don't know where to go yeah that the artist didn't know and even yeah. like the, the there wasn't even a business model that made sense for a while right interesting yeah do, um before we move on do you have an opinion are you optimistic about the music industry in general in terms of for musicians is it a time to be excited if you're a musician and optimistic yeah. or is it sort of that's a, a, a an era that has passed and who who knows if it'll ever sure. be quite the same what do you think um i think that um number one like take my opinion as a grain of salt or with a grain of salt whatever mm-hmm. people say uh because you know i'm not like this super successful you know um superstar or whatever but i do think it's an exciting time mostly because the technology has gotten to a point where it's like insane how good of a recording you can do on your own. Like when we started, it was like huge budgets and inside of, um, you know, really nice, um, studios and stuff and drum rooms for certain sounds and isolation booths and everybody's got, and there's a place for that still. Um, I think it's really cool when you can do that, but like the last project I did, like, the bulk of it was on an iPad with GarageBand. And, you know, I was like working in Alaska, like in a village with generators for power. And I just have this little mic that's like a lightning mic and headset. And I'm able to like do a lot with that. And then I took that to my buddy who then, you know, put it into Pro Tools, which is a more professional grade, I guess, what you would have, you know, most people use it. And, uh, so it's exciting because you can, with such less yeah. equipment, you can like be inspired at any moment and then just mm. like lay it down and 
take us to, through phase two? You kind of made a decision then to move on from music or what was this transition like and what was the next little micro career that, that you can tell us about? I wish I was like as good with words as your dad, like just so uh, direct and like, <laughs> don't we all not using weird filler words and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think well, what would Scott do right now? <laughs> um, so this, the second phase was, you know, my dad had owned a business all growing up of automotive repair, just general mom and pop shop. And um, things had started to slip because a lot of the small business was struggling in 08, 09. Yeah. Um, so early 2010 is when I started working for him again. I had worked at his shop off and on all growing up. Hmm. And um, I didn't say like, oh, my focus is the shop now and automotive repair. Like my focus was music. Yeah. And I still planned on on doing that i still did that on the side um but my dad really needed help and it was a great opportunity for me to work for him again Mm -hmm. and continue um you know being able to make a paycheck and stuff and like you said you could do music from your own house with a lot of the same results to some Mm -hmm. extent taking some of what i had learned from some of the professionals that i've been around yeah implicating or implementing that into you know, recording on our own or recording with other professionals, but just being able to produce ourselves and stuff like that. Um, So I worked for my dad at the time and really, I I don't really know. I'm kind of just like whatever's in front of me, I'm like going to like just try to do to my best ability. And Uh when I see my dad struggling or, or stressed or whatever, it's like, dad, what can I do to help? You know? So, Uh Um, I was kind of able to come into the business, not with like a lot of business experience, even though I'd been doing that with the band on the road and, and, you know, working a merchandise table and ordering t-shirts and product and selling them for whatever, you know, markup and stuff. I had some idea of that. And then working with the band themselves as like a team and, you know, you've got mechanics that are like your team and anyway, so I did have some experience, but I learned a lot at the shop of just like cutting out like the excess that we didn't need to have of overhead there and helping just skeletalize the shop to where it was like you know most efficient during that slow period and my dad was always a quality guy Mm -hmm. um he would use the best parts always you know it was a time where you kind of had to say dad like these people can't pay their mortgages like we gotta we'll give them the quality estimate the best parts with the best warranty but we're gonna give them an estimate with or you can do this. It's not what we recommend, but if you're just trying to get by. Let them choose. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so start giving them options, really communicating with people. I think that's like the biggest thing, especially in automotive, anything in life, but. Especially automotive. Especially though. automotive. Look, this you have to do right now if you want to drive this truck, you know, but, yeah. and I would do this right now, but you could probably get away with it for six months. This is going to have to be done in the next year. But it's not just explaining those things because any mechanic can do that, but it's doing it in a in a trustworthy way sure. and, and helping them understand that you're you tr- you're being very honest and you're not trying to trick them. I I got to think that a lot of customers are very skeptical of pretty much everything their mechanic tells them, mm-hmm. just because they don't they don't see it with their own eyes. Am I right? Absolutely. Like. Everyone comes into the automotive shop. Like, okay, like that. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right, my car is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and you just got to win them over, but yeah. you can only win them over, well, I mean, I feel like 
you can only win them over with just authenticity and like complete like good yeah. communication yeah. like um and fortunately my dad had always been a very honest man you know mm-hmm. he had had the business several a couple decades before i really started working for him and um so i just kind of picked up where he mm-hmm. was starting to get tired you know what i'm yeah. saying and um and for the next five six years was able to kind of help build it back to what yeah. it, it needed to be to sell and them to move on and that's that's kind of what brought me to the next chapter yeah and i remember when you uh i don't know if you had fully decided where to take it but you started taking flight lessons and got that first i guess it's just the is it basic or the intro pilot's license or maybe it's just private a pilot oh, pri- yeah i remember when that kind of happened and mm-hmm. i think at that point you were still kind of toe in the water but i was amazed how many years and series of tests and Allie would always say okay Dustin just passed and got his license and I was like this is like the 10th time he's passed the test there's memes about that and got his license (laughs) this is insane and then I would say my next comment was like oh great so he can get a job for an airline now and start being a pilot and she's like well no he's gotta now and I was like I give up so (laughs) um let's pivot to being a pilot and maybe kind of take us through the quick version of that. You, a, a lot of people understand a private pilot's license mm-hmm. so you can fly yourself and your family around. Mm-hmm. But once you get to the next step, I mean, maybe just help us understand what happens next. Sure. Um, like I said, there's a lot of jokes out there about like f- trying to explain to your friends what you just accomplished you know, in yeah. the pilot world. Cause like, it's like one minute you get your pilot's license, the next minute it's like, oh, I can fly in clouds now. And what does that even mean? I thought, you, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then like it just keeps going. But anyway, um, yeah, there's kind of a series of of types of flying or styles of flying. The general aviation kind of private pilot's license is that first step of just understanding, you know, aerodynamics and the rules and regs and a lot. I mean, dude, it's, mm-hmm. it's very drinking from a fire hose, you yeah. know. And, um, once you get into that, you know, then, then once you accomplish that as a huge accomplishment to anyone who's done it, I mean, hats off, you know? Um, but then from there, there's a whole nother style of flying, which is instrument flying. So you have to become instrument rated, which is that those two are the two big ones I would say where it's like, you know, you get your private pilot's license, which was like a huge undertaking, but then to go on and become an instrument rated pilot is like just as big, I would say. And instrument rated means you're you're flying by only looking at your dashboard. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. And it's actually getting like more and more technology is getting um, less expensive and more compatible with small planes and whatnot to where okay. I think that instrument style flying, it's going to be a little easier to accomplish because... Um, mm-hmm. There's been so many advances in in everything in our world, but including aviation, um, that you know it's it's made it easier and user friendly to like be able yeah. to have these certain tools and stuff within the cockpit. But it's super challenging to fly in weather because you're using navigational aids at that point, and you're also using instrumentation that that you um, kind of couple with those navigational aids to make sure you're in a good pitch attitude turn you know whatever bank you know angle you're trying to turn at or your timing everything's timed everything's kind of 
planned out in this instrument world where you're in clouds yeah. and you can't see and you can't really trust your body because mm. your body is like, man, I feel like we're turning right now, but you got to just trust those instruments. Like, you know, mm. we're straight and level and we need to stay straight and level or mm. whatever. Uh, it's very easy to run into mountains or run into, you know, end up in an unusual attitude because you you start trusting yourself and not the instrumentation. And is, that's is where that, the tricks are. Is that the are. rule that you always only trust your instruments bottom line? Or do they do they give you a little like endless or is it, or is it like black and white? An instrument flying, it's pretty black and white. Now you don't just trust your instruments no matter what most of most all the instruments in an aircraft and almost everything about aviation is redundant yeah so there are several there are usually generally three instruments that are telling you the same thing but in a different way oh so if you're not certain you double check it again you're always and that's called a scan you got a scan going you're like okay this says my my wings are level that says my wings are level and that tells me my wings are level but they don't look a lot alike and they're kind of giving you different information but they're all indicating the wings are level. We're not we're not right. climbing, we're not descending. And there's that redundancy throughout. Okay. And then the way those those instruments work is also from several different sources. So that some of them may be off a vacuum pump on the engine, some of them may be these things called a pedostatic system or um or electronic, mm-hmm. you know, gyros. So a lot of those instruments are are redundant in what they tell you. They're also like used off different systems. So if one player of the three is telling you something different than the other two, yeah, that's when you start not trusting the instrument. And you could think there's a faulty instrument exactly. here and, and pin it down. And you kind of train for that. Got it. Because it can be very deceiving. Well, this this speaks to these Boeing uh, 740, whatever plane crashed yeah. to, twice, I guess, mm-hmm. that killed everyone on board where it was an instrument telling the pilot one thing and so he... Was he diving then? I can't remember. Yeah, I don't. I haven't read all the reports. Point is, and it, stuff, was a, it was a conflict between reality and the instrument. I've read enough of those reports that yeah. almost all of them is that case. Yeah. When it comes to like that level of aviation, you yeah. know, it's almost always an instrument faultiness of some sort, some yeah. sort of automation or instrumentation that's doing something. It necessarily it may be giving you some sort of false information and, and then that Got leads it. you down a trail of like, you know, yeah. Hopefully figuring out what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, hopefully. But usually it's a chain of stuff. They always teach you that. And that's the same in life, you know, like you don't just end up in jail one day. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Like you kinda there's usually many points with which you could have pulled the plug on that uh-huh. that road you were on or interesting. Whatever. And and flying has that same component. Yeah, and that's what the NTSB and the FAA um when they go to like investigate these wrecks, oh. they kinda uncover that trail a lot of times, which always comes back no matter what, to the pilot in command. Yeah. So you know, constantly, it's it's always the pilot's fault, you know. Yeah. But but then as a pilot, you look at those those accident case studies, and it's like it is easy to see how someone could have could have got into that position, you know. And then you just try to learn from it, and you try to like make a mental note, like you know, for yourself and yeah, whatnot. So since we're on this thread, let me we're gonna we're gonna fill this gap in, but. You are flying, how, how many passengers fit in your plane? Yesterday you flew to Vegas and how many people were you 
carrying. During COVID, it's been different, but we, we can hold 76. Um, yeah. We're trying to seat people in their own rows unless they're with each other. And we had 56 going to Vegas, which was... So what's that like? I mean, like you said, it's the pilot's responsibility. Is that just a heavy mantle every time you step in the aircraft? Or does it kind of like all things, like I drive my family in the minivan and I don't feel a heavy mantle when I'm driving the vehicle. Mm-hmm. What's that like? Or, or are you still kind of maybe ask you that question 30 years from now and or what what's that like seems Um, like a big responsibility and i I don't know how i could do it you know i think anyone who's like gotten i can't say anyone but i would say like a very high percentage of pilots that are that are at this point in their career so to speak and and even pilots that fly four passengers and i mean i used to fly six passengers and seven passengers um Mm -hmm. up in alaska and and the weight of that responsibility is no like greater or smaller. Mm-hmm. So I, I, when I say at this point in their career, I, I'm not trying to say that to be, I, I mean, I loved that flying probably more than I love the flying I do now. Yeah. Um, but I would say most pilots are very, um, that does weigh heavy on them. You know, everything from the pre-flight inspection to while we're checking weather, while yeah. we're looking at the flight plan, um, analyzing the co-pilot and the captain kind of like, basically like sort of analyzing them as you're doing your 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 um your uh, pre-flight you know checklists and flows and and you're talking about the flight itself Mm -hmm. which is um a process um you're kind of always looking for what we call threats you know yeah and um i know that sounds silly and yes we do get into a routine where it's like we've done this like it's you're not like anxious every time or anything like that. You're not like, you just, you're always like looking for like potential things that could be a threat, you know, and everything's redundant in that regard too. you know, checklist one's, one's reading, one's doing, um, you know, when you do your, uh, approach briefing or your departure briefing, which is basically just, we're going to run through everything verbally, that mm-hmm. we plan on doing. Oh, we're going to be departing off two six left, and we'll be flying the, you know, whatever departure procedure, which has different fixes on it. I mean, we're just very. We talk about everything before mm-hmm. we do it. You think twice before you push something. You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. yeah. Um, I don't our, know. That that was a long no, answer. No, that makes sense. I'm sorry. Our, our so in the trades, let's just as an example. Although I'm sure there's lots of careers where it's this case. There can be characters who are doing pranks and silly and jovial and goofy mm-hmm. are pilots generally you, you've gotten to know probably dozens and hundreds of very serious pilots mm-hmm. i'm hoping that type of person doesn't make it all the way to being a pilot or <laughs> well you're that, looking at them. <laughs> or is that still something that shows up even in the cockpit just somebody a little goofy and yeah yeah i would say a lot of pilots as i've gotten into that circle of people yeah. are kind of odd like yeah socially a little bit um i'm always like asking my wife what's wrong with me you know like please tell me i'm not one of them i I love them and i mean like (laughs) but they're kind of a certain personality to get through all that training and like that math and reading and stuff that i'm not that good at um there is some joking around i would say i tend to be more on the like uh light side Mm -hmm. um I think having done the shop stuff for so long and then the band stuff, like 
my perspective of aviation was like, wow, I really like this. Like I'm going to keep going. Yeah. And like, but it was never, I didn't grow up at age 15. Like I just want to be an airline pilot. Right. A lot of these guys have, this has been a lifelong journey mm. and um, they're, they've dedicated so much to it, you know? Yeah. And um, so for me, I'm just like, oh, if the economy crashes, that would really suck. But like, I'll go work on cars in my backyard or mm-hmm. I'll go, I'll find something to do. I got a pressure washer. I'll go start pressure mm-hmm. washing concrete or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas like a lot of these guys and gals, this has been their whole life, you know? Yeah. And they have like big aspirations, like, yeah. They want to be fine for FedEx or UPS or, hmm. you know, United Airlines across, you know, huge oceans and big airplanes and stuff. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know where this is leading me. And yeah. like, I'm, I'm just enjoying it today. And, you know, I, I'm not that like free spirited, but I'm like free spirited probably more than them yeah. a little bit. So before we, so there are jokesters like me, <laughs> and they do make it through the cracks. But they're, but, but they're probably not the same level of jokesters as on a construction site where they're literally like throwing boulders off the top of the building. No, and, and when you were telling me about that, I'm whatever. thinking like <laughs> aviation also is like you get drug tested all the time. Yeah. You're like you get a medical once a year before forty, twice a year after forty. That's like wow, kind of like a physical, but more more intense, I guess. So, yeah. So you're monitored your your physical health your mental health your your uh drug use um it's it's pretty it's not for goofy people it's for serious people it sort of thankfully is. hallelujah yeah. i couldn't be more grateful for the oversight i don't want to be serious dude i want to be goofy. i want you to be serious <laughs> <All right. laughs> so before we talk i want to talk about just the, the rest of the career path and you hinted at it, it's kind of the next bigger plane but before we do that, let's circle back before we get too far away from flying in Alaska. And so my understanding, basically, you you, you get however many licenses and certifications till you can finally be allowed to receive a paycheck for flying. And your first job doing this is in Alaska. Is that right? And if so, that has got to be like not an easy type of flying and seems like a contradiction that that's where a brand new pilot would start. Can you talk, speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's lots of paths to get to, um, I guess the airlines someday, if that's your goal. Mm-hmm. Um, some people do flight instruction. So like they'll become an instructor and then instruct in the same planes they, they grew up learning in, you know? Um, and, then some people they'll they'll build their time that way. You have to have so many hours to like have certain types of job in aviation. When I say hours, I mean like actual flight hours, props spinning, mm. you know. So um that's one route. There's lots of routes. I mean, but there's lots of them, lots of different ones, but each one's kind of like niche and like there's only so many job opportunities available. Okay. Um the one in in Alaska, there's there's not a lot of roads. I mean, there are highways that kind of string along the main part of Alaska, but pretty much everything that's like West, Southwest, North, Northwest, there's like no roads to. So, and there's a lot of people that live there um, in villages. 
and they use waterways mostly um, and then aviation as their way to get back and forth or get supplies in and out or mail or Amazon Prime, you know, wow. <laughs> whatever they need. And um, so it's a part, like a lot of different parts of the world actually have a lot of aviation, mostly like developing countries and stuff that don't have road systems and things like that. Um, and Alaska is part of the 50 states, but it is sort of still its own country in a lot of ways. It's that, That's what people mean when they talk about it. It's like there is a different way of life up there that's much more comparable to maybe if you were to go to like Southeast parts of Southeast Asia where it's like, huh. you know, flying in and out of villages and like yeah. bringing in and out supplies and like waiting for supplies to land. And yeah. until then the town doesn't have whatever certain, things. certain thing. Yeah. And, um, hmm. a barge comes in once a year. Yes. So, you know, and the, that fills up their jet a for burning, you know, their wow. heaters the rest of the year or whatever, you know, but wow. So it's a different place up there. It has U.S. currency. It has like when you get into the cities, you know, same fast food restaurants we all know. Yeah. But um, for the most part, the the outskirts of those cities is like very much its own thing. So it's got, the cost of living in those little villages has to be high, right? It's extremely high. And well, we could talk for hours about that. So well, a lot of it's government subsidized. Like, oh, okay. Because we get so many resources from Alaska, like oh. um, it's almost a tax you pay for 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 what you're taking well, from like that oil. state. Oil, we get minerals, um, obviously fish and <laughs> yeah. you know, all kinds of seafood. And yeah. um, Alaska is like super rich with with um, natural resources, hmm. and there are people who you know lived there before us and. The Russians obtained it, and then we bought it from the Russians, and, yeah. and that whole thing, you know, it's kind of you so can read about. So these villages it, are kind of supporting the industries and the oil and fishing and mining that's going on. Is that is that what's happening in these villages? I mean, somewhat. I mean, most of the villages are just people who have have lived there for long periods of time, who are just still retaining somewhat of their original place and, and stuff, and. They're not, some of them do work in the mines. Like we would drop workers off in the mines and stuff like that. The reason why I went to Alaska was there's a lot of flying there because of that. So Be all these villages need aircraft to yep. bring people and supplies and all and that. So that's another route to getting to getting your hours and your experience. And I felt yeah. like, all right, I'm kind of late to this pilot game. Like I think when I started, I was 33. Oh, and most pilots at that point part of their career they're already doing what i'm doing now they've been doing it you Got know it. at an airline or whatever so yeah. i was kind of like i need to like huh. fast forward and i want to be the best pilot i can be and if if that kind of challenging mm -hmm. flying if that door opens i'm gonna just take it yeah and hopefully learn a lot and not like tarnish my record at all as a pilot yeah. where i can't get a job so it's kind of rolling the dice a little bit like yeah could easily have an incident or an accident that like ruins the rest of your career but at the same time if you kind of make it through it you can get really good experience really fast huh. the learning curve is very sharp and um and i just wanted to know like if i'm going to be flying people around in a big jet like I want to be, I want to have the experience that I feel will make me yeah. the most competent for me, you know, yeah. like, and so that was why I jo yeah. dove into that as a 30, at the time I got hired there at 35. So I was like, 
Wow. You know, I've had a career, not a career. I sound dumb now, but I've been working on cars like, yeah. you know, my dad's shop or whatever. I still think you've like, had two other careers. You, ha- you, you have been through two separate industries completely. And so starting into, I wanted to get then, this yeah. one in as fast as possible as yeah. far as like soaking yeah. in everything I could. And fortunately there were like amazing people up there, pilots who like take this nugget, take that yeah. nugget, learn this, learn that. Let me show you how to do this. Well, what are those pilots like? Are, does it pay better than, okay. It's, it's got to be more dangerous than the average pilot it's job. It's more right? dangerous. Does it? And it's, it's certainly more remote and probably less fun it's not like you're spending the night it in is Vegas fun or whatever. though there, oh, okay. there's aspects of it huh. i mean if you love flying oh. which the actual art of flying oh. which i would what i would well, call I didn't it consider that yeah it's so fun compared to I, just like the same old every like being a almost like a truck driver where it's like i'm driving it's the school bus or whatever school yeah. Bus, yeah but like good that's a good way and i and i kind of like am learning as i'm working at the airlines like there is it is a different style of flying. So there's its own challenges is all I'm trying to say. Like it was very challenging for me to learn this jet with like this guidance panel that's like all these different buttons for different commands that you want the aircraft to do. And then like it, it's just way different. You know, the precision that, mm-hmm. that you do there is much different than the precision you do in these little planes going in on gravel runways with mud spots and potholes and yeah. you know what I'm saying? And really stiff crosswinds on compacted snow and ice and things like that. So they're both challenging in their own ways. I would say that Alaska stuff's far more dangerous. Like yeah. the, which it should be considering, I mean, you would want to hear that as a passenger in the lower 48 or <laughs> yeah. anywhere else in the world on a massive jet. Like, I hope this is more safe than, you know, <laughs> and, and it truly is, but yeah. it's not necessarily less challenging. So uh. I had that false mentality and like pride that was like, oh yeah, like this is going to be way easier. Yeah. There's aspects of it that are, but there's still challenge to it. Yeah. And it's a whole nother world of flying. It's huh. the 121 ver- world versus the 135 world, which that those are legal designees or whatever in the FAR. So like oh. there's different regs for one and different regs for the other. And it opens up a whole nother can of worms of knowledge you got to kind of have and so if, standards you got to like fly by. You if know? someone was listening to this, who's interested in being a pilot, do you think that that's a route you'd recommend go to get a job in, in Alaska? I, I don't know how long you were there. It seems like a couple of years, but is that, is that a route that you would recommend to someone looking to jumpstart their career? I mean, every person that I sit next to in the jet at the end, where the end game for a lot of these guys, um, I feel like I can see how they earned it. They're huh. they're gifted in their own way. So whatever path um, you end up taking, whether that's like the CFI route, the the um, aerial photography route, the huh. um, the what are they called jump pilots that like have like parachute jumpers and that's yeah. you know that's all they do all day it doesn't matter you're gonna learn some really rad stuff about how to fly and you, you kind of wear the airplane in any of those interesting um i think the alaska stuff there's just it, it has its own thing and yeah. i i wouldn't really want to tell anyone what to do be, because like then if they got hurt or they didn't go as they planned, I'd feel really bad. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's not for the faint-hearted, though. I would assume. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not saying I, I'm not the most courageous person, you know. I mean, or I guess like 
I don't know how to define courage versus like bronziness or whatever. Yeah. Like, but I'm not the kind of guy like when I first started off learning, I was, I remember Amy and I were laying in bed and she was like, the lights were out and she's just like, but, and this is before I ever really started flying, but I was like taking like classes to like learn. She's like, but I mean, have you thought about like just being in a little airplane at night, like just cruising along, you know, like, yeah. and I'm like, stop talking. That's terrifying. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like, So like going to Alaska and stuff, it was like a target, but like, I just, I had faith that by the time I got to that day, yeah, I'd be able to swing and hit, make a hit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, and not yeah. be like terrified. And you did. And I never wanted to do that in music. I never thought I would stand in front of like thousands of people and play my songs or whatever. Yeah. And when the day came, I like put in the in ear monitors and like walked up out on stage. And it wasn't for me; they were for the headliners. But yeah, and just like start strumming and singing, and it was just yeah. like came out and like. Yeah that's kind of how it worked in Alaska. I was like, this is my job now. I'm going to pack this plane and yeah. fly to Lucknuck or, you know, I'm the or captain <laughs> yeah. and I'm flying and you just, you, you rise to the occasion. Yeah. There's probably parts about that job that were challenging separate from just the, the crosswind and the potholes and the ice. I'm thinking just staying in these tiny villages and having to pass time with no sunlight. And there, there were probably parts yeah. to it that were not, super fun separate from the risk and the challenge am i right oh yeah i mean the good news is a lot of the the pilots you're around you're all kind of in it together yeah there's this camaraderie yeah there's like i've never been in the military but being in a van and with a band for like <laughs> yeah months on end scraping it by and then like being up in these villages and like flying where you know it's kind of dangerous and like yeah like every night we'd all get in and do our dinner together and it was like war story time and joking around time and Mm -hmm. like the jokes we'd played on each other that day you know Mm -hmm. and um and it was just like that camaraderie was like the closest thing to like a military experience i think i've ever had you know it's like going to war every day but even though it's not i'm not downplaying that uh, you know i'm not trying to like compare something that's apples and oranges but that camaraderie was like fun. Now it was really challenging with the darkness and the cold and the wind and stuff, but like it beat being like dealing with really frustrated customers about cars. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like things like yeah. they're a mechanic who's like ready to throw a wrench at me or yeah. whatever. Like yeah. I'm like, this is still great. That's you know what I'm also saying? Not like, very fun. <laughs> and also scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you're, we'll, and we'll probably wrap up on this, but you're flying, 50s to 70 passengers in your jet right now and it's my jet yeah your jet and i and i know the the career mentality is to get certified on the next larger jet and the next larger jet so what what do you think is in your future in terms of flying um you're gonna you're gonna do that and keep stepping up to till your fedex well i mean fedex wouldn't be so bad because it's cargo i like cargo like probably more honestly Mm -hmm. but um but I I never really had goals beyond where I'm at other than just being a captain in the type of aircraft I'm flying now based where I live. Mm-hmm. So like right now, um, when I started working for the airlines, I, I wanted to work for Horizon, which is who I work for. Um, that was my goal. Like if I was going to work for an airline, it was going to be Horizon because it was just like a local airline that, I mean, they're big, but 
I grew up around people who worked for Horizon. They were like mm-hmm. salt of the earth people. And like, there's a lot of love for flying, I think, within our pilot group that kind of disappears when you kind of go up the ladder to like, mm-hmm. I don't think it ever goes away completely for any pilot, but it can kind of become more about like the paycheck and yes, like the toys back home and mm-hmm. how much time off work am I going to get, mm-hmm. which <laughs> is stuff I should probably care about more yeah. than like flying. But mm-hmm. like, there is this kind of heart there for i think aviation in that like horizon air group that's like i don't really care to live outside that too much like yeah have you have a decent schedule be based where you live like come home more often than you're away and you may not make you may make half as much or what maybe even less but Hmm. it's enough to have like a very good life you know so wow well that's really great now will you you got several uh, websites and YouTube channels and probably on Spotify. So why don't you go through all the places <laughs> and hit where every, everybody can yeah. find all of your stuff and music and maybe we'll even play, we'll see, but maybe we'll play one of your music videos or let something stream at the end of this so people can kind of sure. tie it all together. But why don't you tell people where they can find you? I think there'd be so many places it'd take forever, but I think yeah. like the main ones would be like um, Spotify and iTunes and, you know, Amazon, uh-huh. um, you can find my music on those, okay. and it's either under Dustin Ruth, which is like all my solo stuff, or Ruth the band, which is the band stuff that I put out. And I mean, we have a YouTube, um, Ruth the band, and then also Dustin Ruth on YouTube, just slash Dustin uh-huh. Ruth the Ruth band. And there's some music videos up there, um, but that's where my music is, and it's been a a great way of like expressing myself and putting stuff out there. Yeah. Even after I've had these other, um, these other careers and stuff. So, yeah, well, that's really cool. We didn't, and maybe we'll have Dustin back, but we didn't get to talk about, he's one of these unique people who has actual Eagle eyes for wildlife. He hunts and fishes and, and has that kind of unique ability to like, just see through camouflage. I don't get it, but (laughs) Um, so that's, I, it'd be fun to kind of talk through that a little bit. Um, you, you might be one of the most well-rounded or, uh, diversely equipped people I know. So there you go. I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, I don't know how far that'll get us, but I do like finding some game. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's got the skills and are do you have any pictures, any of that on Instagram or anything? I don't yeah, my Instagram's there you go. Dustin Ruth. And there's probably some shots of some I've sheds got, like, or some bucks. Sheds on there. and probably antlers. Like I just did some moose antlers that I brought from Union and Cleat. Um uh when I got done with my job, I mid midway through working up there, I was able to acquire a moose rack. Not that I shot, but from a, a villager there, a native that uh native Alaskan that was kind enough to sell those off to me. Did he shoot it? He shot it, yeah. Wow. And uh he's trying to get his pilot license. He's trying to get money for his pilot license oh, cool. for lessons and stuff. And, um, so I, I bought those off him. They're massive. Yeah. They're, they're enormous. Yeah. It, massive. Is it a rack for a moose? Yeah. Cup? Moose rack. Moose yeah. Rack. Yeah. Well, I, go find them on Instagram. I'll put Say some, hello. yeah, I'll, I'll put some uh, links in the video description here on YouTube. Thanks for coming on and chatting with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. If any it. of you have questions about piloting your career, Dustin's a really nice guy. Shoot him a message, and I'm sure he would uh, help you out. I I could just picture younger guys, you know, trying to decide some of these same decisions. Career career choices are hard. That's that's just 
and it never gets easy to be honest i'm i still feel like i'm making career choices and you probably are as well so uh, it yeah, really, I don't know what I want to do when I grow yeah, up. <laughs> it really helps, though, when that you can hear or talk to somebody who has been down a route that seems appealing. So, um, so there you go. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. My eyes